Hello, and welcome to Connect, Collaborate, Champion, the podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities. I'm your host, Sean Creighton. In my current role as NACU president, I have the honor of working with an amazing group of independent colleges and universities. I'm a huge admirer of their approach to teaching and learning. They provide an integrated, liberal, professional, and civic education. As a result, the NACU campuses graduate extraordinary professionals for a global workforce and society. Also, their campuses are beautiful. About our podcast, we will focus on topics related to higher education. We will bring in guests that wrestle with current and future challenges. They'll include college presidents, provosts, professors, researchers, authors, disruptors, reporters, strategists, and maybe even a futurist or two. They'll help us expand our window into the world of higher ed. Thank you for being here. And without further ado, let's get started. On today's episode, we will speak with Karen Fisher. Karen is a correspondent for the Chronicle of Higher Education and a longtime higher education journalist. She writes about international education, colleges and the economy, public policy, and a host of other issues affecting higher ed. In addition to the Chronicle, her work has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Monthly, and University World News, and has been honored by the Education Writers Association, National Press Foundation, and the Pointer Institute. In 2019, Karen launched a newsletter called Latitudes, in which she writes about what matters in global education and why. If you haven't read Karen Fisher's work yet or seen her speak, I encourage you to do so immediately. I'm a huge fan and very excited to have her as our guest today. Karen Fisher, welcome to the NACU podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. I am so excited to uh, talk to you today. And uh, I just want to get started and, I guess, ask you how life's going. Oh, gosh. You know, the pandemic, I think, has in some ways changed everything and sped it up, and in some ways changed everything and slowed it down. So, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I, yeah, I think it's been pretty transformative. Yeah, well, I know um, we're going to have to talk about the pandemic, obviously, and its impact on things today, because it is dominating our lives in every possible right. way. And, and can you tell us about your work at The Chronicle, you know, and how it's evolved over the years and how COVID's changing it? So I, I came to The Chronicle 12 years ago to cover politics and policy. I'd been a reporter in D.C. covering Congress. That's kind of a little bit of a misnomer as a job description because really it meant that anything that happened at a public university was something that I, I wrote about. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I became the international reporter. And I always joke it's because I'm what passes for international. I'm Canadian. I've been doing that for, for about a decade now. And certainly when I started doing it, it was it was a different world. No pun intended, I guess, mm-hmm. um, for international work and for international students. It was really kind of the, the moment in which numbers of students from overseas were increasing and you had um, all these colleges and universities saying that they wanted to make this kind of work a priority. And as you can imagine, while it's fair to say all of higher education has been really, really deeply changed um, and affected by COVID um, for international education, that's especially so because can't get on a plane, borders mm-hmm. are closed, um, you have 
you know, research collaboration shut down, study abroad programs shut down. You know, you have some international students stuck here in the United States, not able to go home and see their families. Um, and then you have some students who are studying remotely. So I think it's really making, for some of the central things that I write about, it's really having people sort of take a real hard look at, at what they do. You know, what do you see as the lingering effects? I mean, you, you, we know what's happening right in this moment. But um, what the lingering effects on global education uh, in a post-COVID world? Mm, I think that's a, that's a tough question. And there are some people who certainly look at the pandemic and say it's really disruptive. But um, there is a demand for American education all around the globe. Mm-hmm. You know, American universities are the best in the world. And people are going to want to researchers, top scholars are going to continue to want to partner with the U.S. On the other hand, I think it's fair to ask, is this a, the pandemic that is, is this something that's really exacerbating kind of a, a reckoning that was already going to happen? And I think it may make colleges, as they are in, in a number of aspects of what they do, it may make them think more deliberately about why they're doing what they're doing, how they're collaborating globally and maybe even make them think about what are their real priorities and does being global, does that fit in with their priorities and therefore is it a thing that they want to continue to invest in Mm -hmm. or is it something that, gosh, it was a nice thing to do um, when things were were good and now things are tough and we can't do that anymore. And so I, I think there's a real potential for it to go either way and sadly I don't I don't have a crystal ball so I don't yeah, know for yeah, sure. sure yeah you touch on a lot of important questions around universities kind of reflecting in this moment on global education because uh, when things were good as we know you know international students became a really important revenue source for uh, colleges and universities and certainly diversifies the campus and and the cultures on campus but you know things have come to a, a bit of a halt during this time and it is a time of reflection. The trends of U.S. universities expanding their footprint overseas, do you see that as maybe an opportunity going forward? I think it really depends which, what we mean by that. You know, over the last decade or so, we've especially paid attention to these really big sort of blockbuster projects, campuses that have been started in other countries like China, Singapore, and you have these are very brand name institutions, Yale mm-hmm. and Duke, NYU. I'm skeptical about those kinds of projects um, maybe continuing in the same fashion. But uh, that said, there are certainly many other things that colleges do to sort of um, collaborate or to even export their educational opportunities. And I think we could see colleges become more creative. And so maybe it's not a campus, but maybe they be- begin to offer more degree programs, especially if mobility that is, you know, crossing international borders, at least in the short term, becomes, you know, is going to continue to be a challenge. I think colleges are looking hard and saying, how can we deliver some of our some of our education in an American style, but do it in another country? And I think that may be something that they are taking a lot, a lot harder look at. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I think at a lot of institutions, maybe you had a, a program here, a degree there, or, a, you know, major there that that did this but maybe this will become more institutionalized mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the uh, i know you, you've been writing about policy and and its impact and uh, recently wrote a piece about visa policy could you talk a little bit more about what you know what you're seeing 
uh, in current policy or are anticipating future policy that will help or hurt um, global education? Oh, gosh. Anticipate? Who knows? <laughs> um, I mean, this has been an incredibly fast-moving and changing um, issue. It was even before COVID. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that the Trump administration had been doing was tightening up on visa policy in general. And while a lot of what got in the headlines was about immigrants, it also applied to to people on non-immigrant visas like students. And so you saw the administration uh, make changes about um, how long students could stay. Some of it very technical, quite frankly. But on the the horizon, one of the things that people had long been thinking that they might do would be to tighten up on a program that allows international students to stay on for between one and three years after Mm -hmm. graduation and get some work experience in the U.S. Um, That's regarded by many people in colleges as being pretty important because students say that they don't just want a degree, they want some kind of work experience with a degree. And I think there's some concern that if you can't get that from going to school in the United States, will will students choose to, to maybe go someplace else where, you know, they're they're able to get that work experience? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and this is, Americans say the same thing. They want not just a degree, but the practical hands-on experience that shows them how they might apply in the real world. And so that was pre-pandemic. And then since it's been all over the place, um, I think in the beginning of the pandemic, um, the government was actually very flexible and gave colleges and students a lot more flexibility about where they studied. And in much of that centers around remote education, online education, yeah. which was something that was pretty much not something that international students could could do or do much of. They could take one class, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then I think probably the thing that will have caught your eye and will have caught the, the eye of your, your listeners is that in the summer, all of a sudden, the government appeared to make sort of a, a U-turn on this and said, you know, we're going to put a lot more restrictions on this. And this is a case in which colleges very quickly mobilized and forced the administration to back down. In the future, who knows? I mean, I think a lot of what happens, frankly, will depend on who wins the election in November. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being on a call with a provost that morning before the administration backed down in which they were basically preparing, you know, everything they could do to help their international students. And then it was an exhale when the news came through. <laughs> I imagine. Uh, and you're right, there was a real mobilization uh, by higher ed. You know, you, you obviously, you write a lot and have been for the Chronicle, but I guess uh, as if you're not busy enough, you, you launched an online newsletter last year called Latitudes. Well, how's it going so far? Like, you know, what made you decide to launch this on top of everything you're doing? And... Uh, What's been, how's it been received? Well, let me first say, just to be clear, when it comes to the, doing the newsletter, I really I see it as very much complimentary to the work that I do at, mm-hmm. the, at the Chronicle. Um, so I don't think it's like an either or, but just something that is another way for me to write about these things. And obviously the work that I do for the, the Chronicle, I think is pretty important. And um, I think I, I had a couple of reasons for doing it. Um, you know, I write um, for the Chronicle um, a lot of of longer features pieces, but for shorter pieces, delving into the news of international education, there wasn't necessarily the appetite for me to write about the day-to-day stuff, except on Twitter. This is not as long as a 3,000-word story I might write for the Chronicle, my newsletter, but I've got more space than, you know, 280 characters in a tweet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also a different way for me to 
engage with readers, to talk to them, to reflect the changes, to try to write about things that haven't risen to be the level of a crisis, but is here something on the horizon. I'm doing it every week so I can be very quick and move back and forth with it. I've even tried to do some webinars, or I call them coffee chats, and Mm -hmm. they're they're very informal, and they're just another way to build community. Uh, Because I think a lot of times people can be, you know, in very small offices on campuses, both they do international work and how can they network with people? And, and I think there's a real collaborative spirit and a real desire to just sort of have a, a place where, you know, we can talk about the issues that, that really engage people in the field. And so I, I hope, I hope that that's a little bit of what I'm, I'm doing now. Do you get a sense that it's sort of a two-way street then with the latitudes that you're hearing a lot from your readership as much as you're sharing? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I've talked to other people who are experienced reporters as well and who've launched newsletters, and many people would say somehow it's just more personal, and it, mm-hmm. it in a way, when you're a journalist representing a news publication, it, maybe you don't, there's not the same kind of connection, but I, I feel like Latitudes is, is me, I write in the first person, and I, I think that helps you know, build a connection. And so I, yeah, I regularly hear from people giving me feedback, what they like, also what they did not like. Mm -hmm. And and they know, what are some ideas? What are things that you, you want to cover? I mean, I'm only, I always say I'm only as good as, you know, what I know. And so people, I think, feel like they have an investment into space for them. And they, you know, are very good now about saying, hey, have you noticed this thing is happening in this kind of corner of, of the field and drawing my attention, you know, here's something cool that, you know, a college is doing. What, you know, I think there'd be broader interest. And so it's kind of fun. Going back to the Chronicle for a second, you know, in terms of 2021, what are you and your editors thinking the focus will be? Or if there's some priority areas or is it COVID's going to continue to dominate the headlines? You know, again, I don't have a crystal ball, but I do think that for the foreseeable future. COVID is just, I mean, when I think about the things that I've covered over over the years, I mean, there's very little that is in any way comparable to the just the far-reaching nature yeah. of COVID. I mean, it's both an emergency, but along something that has the potential to change higher education in so many ways, in its economic structures, in the way that it delivers education, in, you know, what campus life is going mm-hmm. to be like in, t- in the future. And so certainly I don't want to suggest that there aren't other things that we'll still be covering, but it's, it's hard to imagine COVID not being an incredible priority for months to come. Yeah, yeah. I know we've been thinking a lot about just the all the things you just mentioned, but the stress that it has been putting on faculty and administrators the question becomes, you know, what can we do to help address it? You know, what are going to be the effects of all this stress going to be on personnel? Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's an incredible challenge. It was one thing um, I can remember talking with people at the very beginning of the pandemic, because as you might imagine, we began to see manifestations of this overseas first, and it started to affect international operations of colleges first. And so I was very early on covering COVID. And I think initially it was an emergency. And so everybody was in sort of triage mode. And now six months on, I think it's 
the cumulative effect is, is really, really problematic. Certainly talking about it as you are is, is quite important and acknowledging it. There's going to have to be a lot more sort of understanding and flexibility and, and grace um, for faculty, for staff, mm-hmm. and for, for students as well, who are obviously under a lot of pressure. But I, I do wonder, I mean, on, on the student side, you know, I, I certainly hear people talking about the incredible um, intense need for mental health services and to, to boost that. And I wonder, is this a conversation that needs to be had also about the rest of campus mm-hmm. and, and how to address those needs for, for faculty and staff members as well? I thought we'd move maybe to a little lighter note. <laughs> uh, lighter I, than a deadly pandemic. You know, like, what are you reading right now? It's funny you ask that because I've, I've been asking people for the same thing. Um, I felt like for so long I was um, not reading anything for fun because I um, I was reading visa policy <laughs> and things like that, court cases. I don't know if this was fun and I don't know if I would recommend it, but I've somehow gone down some kind of a Mueller affair rabbit hole and so I'm in the middle of Jeff Cuban's book about uh, impeachment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the most relaxing thing to, uh, to, to get into. I'm also trying to catch up uh, on a conservative way, I'd say probably about two-thirds of a year's worth of New Yorkers. So uh, my magazine reading, there's not a pandemic yet. So <laughs> that's uh, freeing somehow. Well, I know you, uh, you're a huge Washington Nationals baseball fan, and uh, I think many, many people, many of us were excited to see them win a championship uh, in 2019. Uh, what happened? <laughs> Can we blame COVID? <laughs> you don't want me to go down this I, I mean, certainly you could say, I mean, having a disproportionately older team, probably the the starting and stopping of the season did not help, but, you know, it's been tough. We, I try to hold on to 2019 in many ways, yeah. and baseball's definitely, definitely one of those. Well, Karen, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for being our guest today. I encourage our listeners to check out Karen's work at the Chronicle of Higher Education, and also subscribe to her newsletter, Latitudes, which can be found at opencampusmedia.com. Dot org, O-R-G. Well, thank you, Karen. Again, it's a pleasure talking to you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, you too, Sean. Thanks for being here for Connect, Collaborate, Champion, a podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities. This podcast is made possible thanks to our partner, public radio station 91.3 WYSO in Yale Springs, Ohio. Thank you, YSO. The New American Colleges and Universities connects our campuses to collaborate in the delivery of innovative ideas and to champion the belief that a comprehensive, liberal, professional, and civic education is essential to the future of our world. To learn more about our amazing campuses, visit nacu.edu, N-A-C-U See you soon.